Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at winningwithshopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anybody who's not tuned in previously, my name's Nick. I've been hosting the podcast since June 2020. So it's been a little while now, um, and we've been on quite an interesting ride over that time. If it's your first time listening in, please do leave us a review, hit the subscribe button, especially if you're like me and you're in the UK. Our UK reviews on Apple Podcasts, they have peaked recently. So if you could leave us a quick review, even just hit the five stars and tell us what you love about the show, or if you feel inclined, what you hate about the show as well, it's all useful. Um, so please, if it's, if it's your first time, hit the subscribe button. If you've been listening for a while, leave us a review. It does help promote the show. The more the show gets promoted, the better the guests we can get on and the more advice we can give. Today, we're continuing our series on your first 1,000 sales. So we've had a few episodes on this already, and we've spoken to a few different store owners about how they got their first 1,000 sales. And we're not talking specifically what, you know, what, what happened right up until the moment you hit 1,000 and stop. We're just talking about how did your store start? How did it grow and develop? So we want to give as much advice as possible throughout this and share stories that are beneficial and useful for people that are looking to go on that journey or are already on that journey, but want to get a bit more traction throughout that process as well. I'm delighted to be joined today by a very special guest, and his name is Billy from Billy Footwear. So without further ado, Billy, welcome to the show. Yeah, Nick, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great stuff. And it's great to have you with us. And as always, with all of our guests, just before we dive in, give us a quick overview. What is Billy Footwear? How did you get started? And what is, I'm assuming your role is quite important, given that your name is on the door. But uh, <laughs> t- tell, us, tell us about the business. Yeah, so Billy Footwear, it was a brainstorm between uh, two guys, myself and my co-founder, Darren Donaldson. Uh, we're a shoe company based out of Seattle, Washington in the United States. And uh, we started small and uh, we've definitely grown through the years. So it's been a really exciting journey. Nice, nice. Sounds good. And obviously, we're going to uncover that journey a little bit more as we go. Now, there's something quite striking about your footwear, isn't there? What Tell us what the most iconic part of it is. Right. So there's a bunch of um, key unique characteristics to our shoe. The big one is the wraparound zipper. So essentially it's a shoe that has a zipper that goes on the outside of the shoe and it goes around the toe, which allows the whole upper of the shoe to fold over completely. So you can actually drop your foot in unobstructed. So having a zipper in a shoe is not necessarily original, but really the way we put it together, it is. And uh, the backstory, which you can go into is uh, I'm a wheelchair user and I haven't been able to put my shoes on. There was a big gap in my, in my life where I, I couldn't put my shoes on independently. So that uh, to overcome that challenge, that was kind of the brainstorm which uh, brought the design forward. And then we decided to share it with the world. Nice. And I love that because we've had so many people on the show that sometimes going from something that can be quite restrictive, like a disability or an injury or something that stops somebody doing their profession. We've had quite a few guests on the show where that's become, and I always use the Batman analogy because I think it's perfect. Batman was scared of bats. So he overcame his fear and became the Batman, which I think is quite interesting. And I think certainly, you know, you, you're obviously there day to day and it's a, it's a passion of yours as well, trying to help other people that are struggling with the same sort of thing. So yeah, I love the fact that the product has come from a good place as well, rather than 
a lot of businesses where it's like, how do we make money and just kind of start from there? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. It was one of those deals when we started as the business, it was a, it's like, you know what, we'll make a go of it. And if the thing just completely flops, that's going to be okay. (laughs) Because the one success story that we can't take away is my own. I mean, being able to make a prototype and then I mean, I broke my neck at 18. I put my shoes on again independently at 36. And that was a really, really special day. And that's the type of deal that regardless of how the business does, that special moment cannot be taken away. So it was always something we could fall back on. But as I say, the business has been going really good. So we're really excited about that. I imagine quite a lot of the people that buy your product aren't just people that struggle with putting their shoes on for disability reasons. I imagine there's probably just an enormous core of people as well who just love the concept, love the products. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, for us to go into the the shoe market, which is just incredibly competitive, we knew we had to do something big. We couldn't just come to market with this quote, like adaptive shoe. We had to come to market and really take fashion and function and smash it together. And to be able to like one survive in the industry, we had to be able to be on the shelves of, of big retail partners. So Essentially, what we tried to do is we tried to embrace the concept of more of a universal design, the type of a a concept that, you know, someone that needs the function could be empowered, but also it would be a design and, uh, you know, a style that anyone would want to wear. So we've been able to, we've been very fortunate in regards to being on the shelves of major retail partners and also expanded into much more independent stores, both domestic in the United States, but also just abroad. We got lots of retail partners in Europe, in South America, in Australia, in Canada. So it's been really cool to watch it grow. Sounds amazing. And yeah, I can't wait to dig into a little bit more in terms of some of the uh, some of the technicals. So you mentioned it was yourself and a partner. You guys sat down and came up with the idea. And it, obviously where the concept came from was, um, was from yourself and, and some of the things you were challenged with. How did you get started, though, from a kind of business slash marketing slash funding point of view? You know, what were some of the first things that you guys needed to get in place to sell that first pair? So it's kind of a longer journey. So Darren and I, I mean, we, we knew, we've known each other all of our lives. I and mean, we grew up about a quarter mile from each other and rode the bus together and, you know, played baseball. And But as the years progressed, we kind of lost contact. So he invited me over to his house in, boy, what was it, like 2012, maybe, for a Christmas party. And as we were as we were catching up, he was sharing with me that he'd been working on a shoe project. And when he said that, the words came out of my mouth saying like, you know what, since being in a wheelchair, Darren, I've never been able to put my shoes on independently. And uh, here's my idea. Let's put a zipper and a shoe that goes around the outside and around the toe. And uh, I could drop my foot in unobstructed. And since he already had the contacts in place with his own shoe project, he was able to put together a prototype and make the drawing, work with the the factory, work with the rep, work with the sample room. And that prototype ended up being the the shoe that I was able to finally put my shoes on independently. So that conversation with Darren happened in 2012. By the time we actually made the prototype, it was 2015. So there's a bit of a gap there, mainly because to make shoes, it's very expensive. So we went on a completely different tangent path and started doing these ski gloves. And made a Kickstarter campaign for those key gloves to be able to generate some revenue to be able to actually fund the sampling of the prototype, which was which was the shoes. And the interesting thing about that was the campaign that we did for Kickstarter for the ski gloves was very successful. And we got on the television show, we got on a reality television show to kind of pitch, like, I don't know, talking about the, the ski glove, but also more importantly, talking about the other project was this brewing concept of the shoe. 
And from there, we tried to leverage the exposure from that reality television show and, you know, really like penetrate the market. So we did another Kickstarter campaign for the shoes. That was also successful. And then the results from the Kickstarter campaign from our shoes was our first entry into maybe more like the public facing market when it comes to selling shoes. Nice, nice. I mean, there's so many, what I love is there's so many different parts to that. It's like, I think sometimes when people look at businesses, certainly when they're about to start one, you look at it and you go, ah, this would be easy. We'll get some money. We'll spend that on some products and we'll just sell them. Simple. And then when you actually get into it, the amount of hard graft there is involved in getting something up and running. I mean, it's, it's, it's why there's so many support help groups for entrepreneurs, uh, you know, in terms of like coaching, counseling, books written about how to do it, how to manage yourself throughout the process. I think there's certainly, you know, I'm not saying you guys struggled or had a breakdown over the way. That might be the next question, but, uh, but there's certainly, there's so many different points to it. And I think it's, it just goes to show that you mentioned that footwear is competitive. You really have to, you know, to make even the smallest types of businesses work, you really have to be on your game at the edge, especially in this day and age when there's so much competition. So people won't look at it and go, oh, these guys are really nice people. I'll buy those products. They'll look at it and go, that product versus that product. What's the price? What's the type? How quickly can I have it delivered? What are the reviews on these? Shoppers are looking very quantitatively at the numbers these days, I think, as well, which is uh, which is important. So how did you find Kickstarter? Like, how, how did that roll out? Was that quite an easy process? Or actually, was that something that you found quite challenging, quite grueling to uh, to actually get it to work? To make a successful Kickstarter campaign, I mean, you really got to do your homework. So when we went into it, we already had a bit of a strategy of, who we would be sending the campaign information to. So for the first go, when it was ski gloves, it was a matter of like, we looked up every single, you know, ski program out there and had just this huge list of, of emails that we were able to, you know, send out blast like to this very targeted audience. And uh, we got a great response, but also like just through our own networks of friends and family. And, and then when there's a good story, like people want to like kind of promote that. So that's how it kind of got out there. So we, we followed the same concept when it came to shoes and it just kind of worked. But the thing that's crazy about it is like, as we were going through these Kickstarter campaigns, you know, oftentimes the revenue that's being generated from that campaign is going to be what you're going to be using to fund maybe the development of the shoes. The thing was the lead time to make shoes is tremendously long. So it's like a, a five to six month process. So within that campaign, we're saying like, Hey, you know, the revenue that's coming in for this thing, it'll fund the manufacturing run. Well, we had already had to like boldly step out and make the bet that this is going to be successful. So we placed the order with the shoes way ahead of time. Okay. So they would be ready by the time the Kickstarter campaign was over. And um, it was great. It, 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 it timed out well. But our first real challenge that we were faced with was when that manufacturing run came in and delivered. It was really subpar when it came to quality. So it was 4,200 pairs of shoes. And actually 80% of it was bad. 80% of it, we couldn't sell. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was functional, but it just did not look good. It was not, a, it was not a good representation of our brand. And especially when you're emerging into the market, man, if you miss, if you miss going out the door, it's going to be really hard to kind of recover from that kind of failure. So, so when you say they weren't up to par, the, the actual shoes themselves, the physical product, just badly manufactured, not executed in the way you wanted it to be. Yeah, like the stitch lines of the left shoe would look different than the right shoe. Oh, no. The big one is wavy zippers. I mean, to really sew that zipper and you have to be really, you know, you need to pay attention. <laughs> and these guys that, that, that made it, it looked like just a, 
I don't know, a bit of a roller coaster almost, like just the, the going around the side of the shoe. So you look at it like, all right, well, that's functional, I guess, but that doesn't look good. And that, it, I don't know, it was a real like punch to the gut right out of the gate of essentially we got this idea, like now what do we do? And like, it's, it's, it's not really coming together. Wow. And it, I mean, I know from marketing over the years, you only get one shot to impress a, a customer. And if you impress them, you then might get another shot to impress them again, impress them again, impress them again. But if you at any point, especially the first point, let them down, well, in the same way, good reputation can spread, bad reputation spreads even faster. So I think, yeah, if you'd sent out bad products to customers, what would they have then have done if they then heard about you again two, three years later when you had nailed it? Their perception already would be, no, no, I ordered from those guys once and it was horrendous. You know, they were terrible, terrible products. So how did you recover from that? I mean, that must have been such a kick. Yeah, we were really at a crossroads. It was either, you know what, we're going to quit. That was a fun ride and like we'll throw in the towel. Mm. Or we're going to have to double down and see what happens. And, you know, it was it was one of those things where it's just like, you know, I mean, like one, do we have the energy? But two, like the financial power to do it. I mean, we, we'd we already raised a lot of money to be able to fund this manufacturing run. Hmm. And then all of a sudden it comes in bad. It's like, where's that new money going to come from to really double down? Yeah. So two big things happened. One was we got associated with, we dug into our network and got connected with a gentleman that was very fluent in the shoe business. He was in a shoe dog. He had connections like through his network to a lot of major retailers and uh, also through those connections, they were door openers to, you know, better manufacturing partners. So one was we decided and chose to get associated with people that it kind of, you know, that knew the industry and had to really navigate this storm. And uh, secondly, it was a matter of like just betting on ourselves and digging deep into savings and going like, you know what, we're going to put it on the table and make a run of this. So, so those are the two big choices that we had to make. It was interesting though, because we got connected with people that really knew what they were doing. And we showed up just like hat in hand going, we have an idea. Here's a shoe that doesn't look good currently from this first manufacturing run, but here's a sample that does look amazing. Here's the story behind it. This is the mission we're trying to deliver. Here is our business plan of who we want to target. And what do you think? And we were very fortunate of to have these audience that could have very easily said no, but instead they said yes. And uh, that allowed us to move forward. And that was really, there were some real critical conversations that happened during that time frame that set us up beautifully for the future. Nice, nice. It, it sounds like such an amazing journey. And I, I certainly think there's plenty of people we've had on the show that haven't been kind of hit anywhere near as hard as you guys have with a bad product run, problems with financing. And yeah, it just it sounds like you guys have just come through every single thing, which in a sense probably makes you feel even more connected to the products and to the business at the end. Well, not say the end today, you know, where you are on the journey, given that you've been through so much. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, it's, I use the word surreal <laughs> quite often hmm. just because it has been a real surreal ride. And, you know, oftentimes I got, I got to force myself to look in the rearview mirror to see where we came from yep. because things are just rolling now, but man, it was, it was really touch and go early on, especially because it was just Darren and myself. And uh, this is a side hustle. I mean, we had our day jobs working, working full time. Hmm. And then in the evening and on the weekends, we tried to build up this, this shoe idea. And uh, as it continued to grow, that little side hustle fortunately turned into our main hustle just because we just did not have the bandwidth to do anything other than grow this business. 
So it's crazy how this idea, which started with two people, now we have a staff of 20 and uh, we're still very much on the grow. Wow. I mean, it's, it's great to hear that you guys have come through that as well. I, I, I sometimes stop and ask myself, you know, I try and work out in my head, like how many businesses have started from a similar place of you, given up and just not gone there or still went there and it still failed and, you know, sort of round two, round three, round four, and then given up and yeah, just how it's all kind of fallen apart. We, we have stats in the UK that get released every year. And the current, the current latest one, which I think was just before um, the coronavirus pandemic, I think well, the current one was something like one in 10 businesses survives its first two or three years. It's something on that kind of scale, followed by of the ones that make it, of every 10 businesses that make it, only one still exists in six, seven, eight years time, that kind of. So I was like, hang on a minute, that's one in 100 businesses is still there. Of all the businesses registered in the UK, one in a hundred is still there seven or eight years later. Again, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's, it's that kind of scale. And then I remember reading that in the startup world with all these kind of tech SaaS app products, et cetera, and all these, you know, kind of WeWork, which seems to have gone into every UK and US city now, all these people running around trying to start their businesses. You, you add another zero to all those stats. So it's like one in one in a thousand, one in a in it, one in ten thousand at the end of it, and it's it's crazy when you look at it to then see the businesses that did thrive. But in a way, if you look at business a bit like nature, it's the survival of the fittest. So actually, the fact that you guys have had this endurance to keep going, and you've been backed by the right people that have backed you strongly enough, that's what's become the strength and kind of seen you guys through. But I mean, great to hear that you've now hit 20 staff as well. I think it's an enormous feat and certainly using the phrase surreal. I, I think I'd be using some much more colourful language in your position if I was there. You know, it's hard enough running a service-based business where I've been working in an industry for 15 years and have a lot of skills and contacts. You know, it's still every day is a challenge in a different way. But um, cool, cool. So you guys got started up. Let's, let's bring it around to probably some more of the, I'd say, sort of day-to-day stuff that our listeners will be dealing with on Shopify. When did you launch the online store? When did that come into play in your journey? Yeah, so we launched our Shopify store in 2016. And so we were talking about the product that was all blemished. I mean, there was 20% of that shipment that that was legit. So that allowed us to fulfill our, our Kickstarter campaign obligations. But there was also some inventory that we could actually sell. So when we launched our e-commerce site, which is billyfootwear.com, um, through Shopify, we had that initial inventory that we could sell. And, you know, we, we sold about, I don't know, 100 pairs or something like that. But the thing is, it's crazy. Like when, when you have a website and you have your shoes up there or whatever your widget may be, to really put on a nice impression, you need to have lots of content and you need to have lots of like variety for people to purchase. So when we, I mean, when we launched, we had two kids shoes, two women's shoes and and three men's shoes. So that was all we had. I mean, so that was really a small sampling when people look at like, okay, what's more, what's coming next. And that was really had to be like the next step to one, um, you know, build out what that content was going to be, but also find a new factory to be able to help us produce it. So that where I'm going with this is when we first launched our Shopify store, it was actually rather short lived because we sent that out and we realized that, you know, the, the, the shoes that we have right there really aren't the shoes that we want to be selling we want to be able to focus on this next round so our our website turned kind of shifted from being an e-commerce site back to more of like just a brand relating site talking about 
like how we came to be, what the story was, where we're going, what's coming in the future. And then when we actually got better product and landed on the shelves of major retail partners, the two that we launched with initially, they're here in the States. One's called Nordstrom and the other one's called Zappos and uh, both really heavy hitters in the industry. So when we actually landed on their shelves, our e-commerce site, we weren't selling shoes to our site. We were directing all traffic to our retail partners because we wanted to make sure that they were successful because we knew if they were successful, we as a brand were going to be successful. We didn't want to be in competition with them. Yeah, they would also make more wholesale orders, which in the early days, you know, if you could, yes, you get a much less margin on it, but if you could sell 20,000 pairs instead of 50 or 60 a month on your website, it's a very different proposition cash-wise in the early stages, isn't it? It is. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, one, the, the financing part of it is like way... I mean, because they're buying in bulk. I mean, they're buying in bulk and like the money's coming in. So cash is really king. But the other part of it too is like it's a marketing play because their audience, like to be on their shelves, not only are you getting more eyeballs, but the rapport, I guess, or just the validation that you're in that store or just the, it, it gives your brand credibility. So the last thing we want to do is jeopardize that relationship or, you know, take away from it. We want to make sure they were just absolutely 100% successful before we had the idea of like turning on, turning on our own e-commerce. So that went really well. And then what happened was in September of 2018, we had a Facebook post that went viral. There was a mom that had a very successful experience at a Nordstrom store in Minnesota. When it's at the Mall of America, went in and just a really positive experience as she went home and made a post. And it was the type of post that I'd seen many times before. It was like, you know what, moms out there, these shoes are really convenient for your kids. Make sure to take a look. And for whatever reason, this particular post just really got legs. And it was shared, I don't know, it got in a vein and just kept going and going and going. And in three days time, it was shared 280,000 times. So Lifetime, now that same post has been shared over 560,000 times. So what happened was when that happened, the world really discovered the brand and everyone was starting to talk about it. And the, the inventory that was at our retail partners just sold out immediately. And that was really the, the indicator that we needed to do more. We needed to do more than just have um, representation within the retail partners. We needed to turn on our own e-commerce. And uh, so in December of 2018, that's when we turned it on. Nice, nice. I love how tactical you guys have been. And it might have felt at the time, I mean, you can, you can tell us if this rings any bells, but it might have felt at the time like you guys were just kind of going a bit rabbit in the headlights. Oh, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. But in hindsight, it all sounds so tactical in terms of the way you've gone. Okay, if we sell more wholesale, we can do this. This post is going viral. Okay, people are hearing about us. That's a good time to turn on e-commerce. These are all, you know, sort of saying in the way you're describing it, these are all huge milestones for the brand and for the business and for all of you guys as well. Yet at the time, it might, you know, it'd be interesting to know if, if it felt a bit kind of just, oh, this is happening. Oh, should we just do that? Yeah, that makes sense. Let's crack on. As opposed to it, you know, you can't have mapped some of these things out on a plan, can you? Yeah, I mean, we were very tactical about it for sure. And it's funny looking back on it when you start like hitting all the milestones and all the different steps that we did. It seems like we got it all planned out, but my gosh, I mean, within one week, that plan shifted so many <laughs> times. I mean, it's like looking back yeah. on it, it's like, okay, look, like it just, it seems like a very methodical process of how we got from where we were to where we are today. But there was so much adjustability and scrambling and just, I, I mean, 
just I don't even know, like just leaning into it, having grit going like, oh my gosh, are we going to survive today? Are we going to survive this week? Is this shipment going to come in on time? How are we going to pay for this? I mean, stuff was happening so like incredibly real time that I don't know how we got through it. I mean, really, I, I just don't know. I mean, there's, there were so many, so many landmines that we just happened to dodge. It just kind of worked out. I think sometimes as well, and this isn't just, it definitely applies to business, but definitely also applies to other things is you can sometimes feel like it's a good thing that you didn't know the next 20 or 30 moves. Like if someone had sat you down and said, this is going to be what's going to happen with this business and how it's going to develop, you'd run a mile. You'd be like, no, I'm not an idiot. I'm not signing up to that. <laughs> you know, but then in hindsight, it's kind of because you can only see the next move. It, it's somehow palatable because you're only ever in one moment. You're not having to compute in your head all the next things which I think kind of, make, in a sense, might just be me, but it, it makes things more manageable to me sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know, the whole concept of breaking everything into little chunks. I think you're totally right. I mean, I, I think just the unknown and what was beyond tomorrow. Mm. I mean, we had a vision like, okay, you know what? This is what we're visioning. I mean, Darren, I think Darren had more of the the big picture vision of what this business could turn into. Sure. I, I think I was more in just survival mode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just working full time and all of a sudden you come home like, all right, here we go. Like, let's dig into this thing. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) Package more orders and send them off tomorrow morning on the way to work. Yeah. I I, I ran a Shopify store a long time ago that some of our regular listeners will know about. And we sold bamboo sunglasses and it was literally getting one of my staff at my agency to package up the orders from that day during the day as they came in or doing them just before home time. And then I would literally drop them off at the shop to be picked up by a delivery company, a courier on my drive home and they got to know me really well. And the guy kept saying to me like, why don't you just bring them in bulk and we'll just send them out for you. And eventually we did. And literally the guy at the local grocery store with like 10 of each item there. And once a week we would just top up the ones that have been sold, but he started sending them out for us and we gave him a bit of money for it. And he literally became our first little warehouse. But again, it was just, I hear what you're saying. Like you finish the day job and it's like, Oh my gosh, I've got a tax return to do, or I need to send this product out or Oh, I need to reply about some marketing campaign. And yeah, just it's always that thing of like, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Can certainly be really, really difficult. We've got somebody who sits on our board in my agency in London, and he's an advisor and he's got loads of good phrases on this kind of stuff. And one of them he always says is, You don't know what you don't know. And sometimes that's a good thing. Um, So sometimes it's that fearless, like, we've got to try this to learn or to get, you know, it might be an advertising campaign. We need to run this campaign to get some data to know if it can work or not. And until we run it, we don't know. And this could be an enormous success or an enormous failure, but we won't know until we try. And it's then just weighing up, is it worth the try or not? But yeah, it's certainly not easy by any capacity. So when you turned on the store, when you said like, hey, you can buy direct now, what were some of the channels you guys focused on, given that you'd done, as in marketing channels, given that you'd done some of that wholesale, you got the awareness from the post that went viral, like what were some of the channels that really drove drove some of the initial orders. Yeah, I mean, so we we focused a lot on Facebook and Instagram and just continue to build up those channels. Oh, yes. And <laughs> I is. mean, building up those channels, oh my gosh, I mean, that that's a chore in itself. I mean, Instagram, you know, our following right now, I think is at 18,000, but to go from zero to 500, oh my gosh, was that a journey? And then to go from 500 to 1,000 and then getting the 5,000 mark, I mean, that was, that was a real big accomplishment. And overcoming 10,000. It's just, it just seems like the, our Instagram following, it, it, it kind of goes more exponential. So 
early on, it just took such an absolute grind. We did, we do weekly giveaways, basically just like, like strategies where you'd have somebody share the post with somebody else. You had to tag somebody. And then, I mean, just like various requirements to be able to really just build up that channel. So now it's, it's just crazy how much more traffic we get to that channel than we did early on. I mean, to have one follower, if you had one follower, new follower a day, it was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, what a victory. This is incredible. Yes. Awesome. Or if somebody unfollows you, it just felt so heartbreaking, but now it's rolling. So, so those channels were always really beneficial to us, just putting up new content and sharing, just sharing whatever. I mean, maybe like a motivational, you know, comment that from some quote from somebody else. But as we kept growing, we started to be able to add our own motivational stuff to be able to, you know, have other people one connect to the brand, but also learn more about like just the story of how we got to where we are. Nice, nice. You remind me quite an interesting an analogy about that one follower. We used to run events to, we still do them from time to time. We do it partly to get our name out there and partly to generate leads. So potential customers come in, they hear us talk about marketing and some of them will go, well, these guys are good. We'll kind of get their number at the end and follow up and have a chat and see if they can help us out and whatever. All works really, really well. And I remember the first event we ever did, we had one person sign up and it was the afternoon before the event was supposed to happen. (laughs) So when they signed up, it was like this moment of, oh, darn, we've now actually got to run the event (laughs) with one attendee. And I mean, we we contacted them and, and sorted it all out. But I think... Sometimes, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a rule of thumb though, isn't there? If you can't look after one customer, God forbid you ever have a thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand customers to deal with. You guys must have been working on some of those customer service systems and, and also other systems like how do we manage inventory and warehouse and sending orders out. You must have set some of that stuff up early. There must have been those moments of, oh my gosh, we're struggling to send out 10 orders a day. How are we ever going to do 100? Yeah, well, <laughs> when it comes to warehousing, our first warehouse also doubled as my parents' basement. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was our first warehouse. And then we graduated from that space into, into Darren's kitchen, essentially. And we had a semi-truck container on his property where we store the product and then he would fulfill out of his kitchen. Nice. His day job gave him a little bit more flexibility so he could kind of manage orders off and on throughout the day. Mine was more rigid, so like working in office space, so I could only work in the in the evenings. And that was more on the customer service side. So all the emails and, uh, and questions the customers would have both through social and then just directly through our our email, I would attack those in the evening. And then also that was a matter of trying to figure out like these marketing deals, like going... Um, like Nordstrom, for example, they're a big chain here in the U.S. What we started to do is go around and do promotions, like have a booth at Nordstrom to tell a story about the brand, but also just to really drive sales to that store. And then also just the brand in general within the within that company. So, yeah, I mean, it was really Darren and myself, like really tag team in this thing. And I don't know, I mean, it, it really was kind of a daily survival. But to your point, talking about Oh my gosh, like we're doing 10 orders a day. Now we're going to do 20 orders a day because 20 orders a day, that was a, that was a big lift. And now, um, you know, obviously we're a little bit more than that. So now we have a big warehouse and like, we're already busting at the seams of this warehouse. (laughs) So we're moving into a bit much, much larger space come June of next year, which is really exciting. I mean, it's going to be like, probably outgrow that before you get there as well as as things go. Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's like a 25,000 square foot space. I mean, nice. We'll have to have forklifts and like a, an even larger staff. And 
to think about being in that space as compared to like my parents' basement, it's pretty wild knowing that we got there, but also we're still, I think we're still at the tip of the iceberg. I think there's just a lot of opportunity out there that we still need to try to penetrate. Yeah, yeah. That leads me to quite an interesting question, actually. And feel free to share as much or as little as you want on, on the financial side. But when people are starting out, products probably cost more than ever at that point. And in terms of looking forward or forecasting for when we do have 100 or 1,000 orders a day or more, you've just mentioned forklift trucks, bigger warehouse. All of these things cost money. So if somebody's still at the bedroom or kitchen phase of growth, how, how has that changed financially over the time? Like, how do you find the money to cover the cost of those things? Like you, you're going to need, you've got more staff, you're going to need more HR resource, you're going to need somebody to be dealing with employment and that side of things. You've got a bigger warehouse, you're going to need more equipment now, like forklifts, you've got more land that you need to pay rent on, you've got more people in the warehouse delivering products, you know, you probably need to pay more tax as things grow. How, how does that kind of all add up financially as the business develops? Like, because on paper, a lot of people start off saying, well, my product costs uh, $2 and I'll sell it for four, so I'll make a 50% margin. That that's not going to add up when you've got a thousand orders a day and all these other overheads, is it? No, <laughs> and it's quite the paradox. I mean, it really is because mm. it's you can have the best business plan in the world, but you know you need to fund it. Yeah. So, like traditional banking, I mean, banking has been really challenging. I mean, it really has because you go there and they're they're evaluating risk, and anytime you have a startup business, I mean, there's going to be risk. So for us we were fortunate to be able to have it self-funded for quite quite a bit of time. So in the early stages, it was really just me digging deep into my coffers going like, you know what? All right, let's move up that retirement funding that's been, you know, saved away. Let's, let's, let's bet on ourselves. And, you know, obviously it, it didn't work out on the first manufacturing run, but it definitely worked out on the second one. And then we worked with, you know, private lending just from friends going like, look, I mean, our cash flow, we have a cash flow gap here, but, you know, in six months, we'll be able to have this revenue stream coming in and we'll be able to pay you back. So that's, again, like that's a friend or whoever betting on you. I mean, like taking that risk, of like that, that leap of faith that you're going to be able to, you know, pay back that that loan. And it's someone you know as well. There's all those personal emotive connections with that as well, isn't there? It is. Yeah, it's very personal. I mean, it could be really, it could be really hard. I mean, because if you don't, if you don't fulfill on that promise, I mean, that's, you're, you're losing, it's not just losing money. I mean, you're, you're, you're losing a friend. So, but we were fortunate to be able to have folks be able to step up and, and help us in that, in that space. But also we really built strong relationships with our retail partners and that, that list of retail partners continue to grow. And when with the wholesale business, as soon as the product lands from the factory, you send it out to those those partners with terms, and uh, then you're getting paid. So as you start growing and growing, you can start lining these things up. It's just kind of a shell game, right? You pay for, you start being able to pay for your product with the payments of these, these, you know, retail partners to be able to pay things off. So just by lining up, like, like being factored or whatever, or to be able to have the short-term lending, you can start paying things off without actually having the money always in hand. But it takes a while to build that up. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. You just got to keep growing and growing and growing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I mean, there, there, were a lot of, there were a lot of close calls where it's like, oh my gosh, we owe 
$250,000 by this Friday and we don't have it. Where is it going to come from? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I've got to, I've got my business to a point where it's matured now and we're, oh my gosh, I it, almost, almost two or three times a week. I think, I think back to when I used to live, how you've just described previously, like I used to call it hand to mouth where it was like, you're literally earning money and the, the cash comes in and you go, what's the minimum I can take out to pay for my rent, my car and feed myself for the next three or four days until another payment comes in without taking too much out of the business. And it's, yeah, it, it is liberating when you reach a point where you're like, right, everything's kind of just financially, everything's ticking along now. And it, it really is liberating because it's not, it's not like getting the dream salary in a job and you kind of work your way up and you're there and there's been securities with that. It's like none of this happened without me getting out of bed in the morning. I've had to get out, make this thing happen, build this thing, go through all of the things you've just described. And I think it's, it must be so rewarding to start looking at it now and going, oh my gosh, we have, we have a really big business, you know, and compared to what it started as, you know, it's huge and it's actually going places, which is kind of my next and possibly one of our last questions as well is without giving too much away. And if any of your competitors are listening, I don't want you to give away all your trade secrets, but where, where are you guys heading? Like what, what are some of the things on the horizon that you're like, these are going to be obvious challenges that other people listening are going to have to hit at some point if growth continues. Yeah. So really our mission, we're, we're a brand with the mission to add value. I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to be a brand of success, but more than that, we really want to be a brand of significance. And the way we do that is, I mean, our kind of, our catch, our play on words is to make a measurable difference in the world one foot at a time. So with that in heart, like to add value, if that's, if that's truly what we want to do, we need to grow, really need to grow. We need to make our business significantly larger. And I say that not through the lens of just like, hey, I want to be a big business owner. I say that through the lens of in order for us to add more value to more people, we need to grow the business so we can take more risks and build more relationships. That's really what it is. So it's been awesome to be able to know that we came from a place that we were working incredibly hard to be able to create something that could put food on our own tables, which was Darren and myself. And now we have a business where we're putting food on the tables of 20 people, which is it's absolutely incredible. And uh, being able to bring a product to market where, yes, it's a shoe, but one comment that we get frequently is it's more than a shoe because there's lots of, there's lots of families out there that have like, I don't know. I mean, like myself, I'm a spinal, I have a spinal cord injury. I'm paralyzed from the chest down. I'm not able to, like my brain, my brain can't make my feet move. So for me to put shoes on, it was a real challenge. It was a real struggle to be able to lift my foot up and try to shove it into a shoe. It just wasn't working. So to be able to have something you can drop your foot in unobstructed, that was the answer. And there's lots of moms and moms out there and fathers out there that are sharing experiences of their own children that are now able to put their shoes on by themselves and they've never been able to do that before. So yes, it's really rewarding in that regard, but we want to be able to have more stories like that. We want to be able to celebrate those success stories. So in order for really, to, really for that to happen, we just need to grow the business. And let's finish with this last question then, which kind of, kind of comes off what you've just said actually about you feeling liberated, it being something that's creating stories. And I think stories is a great way of, a great word for describing it. How does that then play into the business's marketing without it being too much of a, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, a sort of sob story, I guess is the, is, is the right answer. How does that play into marketing? Like, how do you bring that, that liberation, that good news? How do you bring that forward in the marketing of the business and, and of the actual products themselves? 
You know, I, boy, that's a good question. I, I would say that... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a big question, a really big question. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm trying to come up with the best words. I mean, okay. it's, I think it's really, you just have to be authentic. I mean, yeah. it's... So, I mean, so my story, for example, I mean, when I, when I broke my neck, I mean, I was... My, my mind, I had this plan <laughs> for my life. I mean, 18 years old, I, I was taking the taking the world by storm. I, I thought I knew everything and I broke my neck and all of a sudden, you know, my life changed. And there were so many things that I used to be able to do that I couldn't do. I mean, like kick a soccer ball, like run and jump and climb and like all these outdoor activities that all of a sudden I just felt were robbed. Mm. And my brain went to a very, very dark place. Sure. And it was really like the people around me that helped me. It's not like they fixed me, but they allowed, they created an environment that allowed me to choose to change, choose to change my mindset mm. and focus on like, you know what, this is what I still have. I'm still alive for one thing. So let's try to make the most of the day. Let's try to, every time you wake up, it's a morning that I really couldn't have not had. So why, why, why should I be upset? Why should I be, I, I should be smiling. I should be happy to have another bonus day. So when you share that type of story, yes, it's, I guess you could think of it as a sob story, mm. but within that within that tragedy, I guess, and within that scar tissue, there's a lot of power because it brings people together. I mean, everyone, life is really challenging. I mean, it's, this is one of those things. I mean, it's like everybody has their own challenge. Everyone's going through something. Yep. And, to, and it's not like it's a competition. It's just like, we have to try to all get through life one way or the other. So when we're able to share those stories and like, be honest and just say like, look, this is a challenging thing that I'm working on or trying to get through, I think a lot of people gravitate towards that type of community to be able to like have those honest conversations and to be able to, you know, collectively try to do something bigger. So it's not like we try to, you know, like, Hey, like what's, what's going on in your world? Please tell up like and to, to be able to like kind of force that, that vulnerability. But if, if people are open and be able, are willing to share, I just, I just think it's, like, yes, I guess it's marketing, but it's not like you're trying to leverage this like weakness. I just think we're just trying to provide an opportunity to tell these amazing stories. Mm, definitely, definitely. I, I love that. And I think authenticity is the word. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. And it's, as you say, it's not, you're not in this to, to simply make money. You're in this to help other people in the same way that you've been helped by the product. I love it. I think it's brilliant. And I, I, I also think there's such a power as you said, in those stories and the support for one another. And I think given the digital age and even more so with coronavirus, people have never been so close yet so apart in so many ways. And so I think doing something to bring them together is, um, is really powerful. So yeah, Billy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I think it's been brilliant. I hope there's some really useful advice for everybody listening. Um, just remind us of the website. How can people reach out to you guys or, or check out the products? Yeah. So website wise, uh, it's billyfootwear.com. On our website, we actually have a tab up there that says store locator. And if you click on there, it'll list all of our retail partners, both well around the world. So, you know, you're in the UK, we have a store in the UK. So there we go. So billyfootwear.com. And then on social, we keep it simple. It's at billyfootwear. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Billy. Been great to have you with us today. Yeah, Nick, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Cool. Um, And yeah, for everybody listening, Back again next week. I think I might be wrong, but I, I think we've got one more part on the uh, on the one thousand sales and beyond. I will check with my team before I record another episode. So don't worry about that at all. But um, yeah, thanks for being with us today. If you've not clicked the subscribe button, hit that now. Back next week, and we hope you all stay safe. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. 
You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.